Welcome to the Marketing That Generates podcast hosted by yours truly, Lauren Powell. For over a decade, I've partnered with business owners around the globe to create and implement their digital marketing strategy. Working together with their teams, we generate more leads, more customers, and more revenue. I'm here to make your business growth simpler by making online marketing simpler. Every week, I'll be interviewing other business owners about the strategies that are keeping their marketing relevant in the long term, so they're not hammered by monthly algorithm adjustments. So are you ready to generate more leads, better leads, and more sales-ready leads online while making the most of your oh-so-valuable time? Then this is the podcast for you. Are you tired of being promised the magic pill that's going to solve all your online marketing challenges? Well, this podcast does not promise quick overnight fixes, nor a one-size-fits-all marketing formula. Instead, it will empower you to think differently and more strategically about your marketing so that you get better results. So whether you're a business owner, solopreneur, or an aspiring entrepreneur, listen in and subscribe for zero fluff and actionable takeaways. And for bonus resources, go to marketingthatgenerates.com. In our current podcast series, I interview the owners of four very different operational businesses, and we dive deep into their marketing. Today's episode is the first of that series, and I interview Karen Sargent, team growth strategist and advisory COO. I have personally worked side by side with Karen on multiple clients, and it has been an absolute pleasure not just to work with her, but also to showcase her genius to you in this interview. Karen has an incredible background, leading teams through some of the highest stakes environments possible. And she brings that incredible expertise to business owners and their teams so that they can grow quickly, more sustainably, and more equitably. I think you'll find this interview full of great advice, both for the operations of your own business and to hear how Karen has simplified her marketing so she can focus on doing her best work for clients. Listen in and don't forget to visit the show notes to get all the links for this episode. Karen, I'm so pumped to have you here today. It is a privilege to be here. Thanks for asking me. Yeah. So you've built this incredible business helping teams in their growth. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little more about the problem you help your clients solve in case the phrase team growth strategist isn't one they're familiar with. Yeah, sure. So when you're a small business owner and sales really start to take off, there comes a moment when that growing business creates more demand than your current team can handle and your current systems can handle. So like work capacity has hit an upper limit and the team is struggling. Uh, one prospect put it to me this way. He said, we have five proposals out and if one of even one of them says yes, we're screwed. And so that's the predicament they're in. So creating, growing your team, creating a team growth plan is the next right move but that can be tough for already maxed out business owners. And and for many, it falls outside their area of expertise, but it falls squarely into mine. And so that's what I love to step in and help with. That's amazing. And I think sometimes too, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, I know I need to hire, but I'm not sure the best next hire. Isn't that funny? That is 100% the question that comes. And you would think, how would you not know? But the thing is for, for small scrappy businesses, you know, let's say there's three of you or four of you, and you're all wearing 18 hats. And so the question is, which seven hats am I peeling off and making its own position? That part of the equation is, it's just not clear. It's not clear 
um, what the what the optimized answer is. And at this point, the the business owner is a really savvy business owner, and they just know what they don't know, and they know that they need someone to come in and just give a look at all of the work of the business, find the efficiencies, and then make that growth plan that will help them not just solve the current you know stickiness, but to but to grow you know for the next six. 12, 18 months. Yeah. And I think that brings up a good point. A business can't always afford all the hires they need right away. So sequencing is really important and understanding who's going to take a load off or help bring additional return on investment allows them to then make that second or third or fourth or fifth hire that you've recommended. Absolutely. So a lot of times the question that's asked is, hey, I don't feel like I have, so my business is growing, but it doesn't feel like I have like a wad of cash sitting there to, you know, to just hire all the people I feel like I need. So what, how do I know when is the right move and the right moment to hire the next person? And so what I do when I create that team growth plan is to tie the hires to certain KPIs. So when you hit X, when you're selling more than three a month or maybe more than five a month, that's your signal that you need to turn around and start hiring for this, this, you know, redundant position, you know, this next position. So when they have that growth plan, it's not just here, here's a list of, here's a new org chart and here's a list of, of positions. It's you hire the third one of this when the KPI reaches that. I love how clear cut that is. And it really just takes the guesswork um, out of it. Yes. So you have a few different ways you help CEOs and their teams in this capacity. Can you share a little more about how someone might work with you? Mm-hmm. I have my flagship offering is called Team Growth Accelerator, and it is a guided engagement that steps in right at the moment that we're talking about when work capacity has hit an upper limit. You're not quite sure who to hire next. And working together, we get a better, clearer org chart and a staffing roadmap that situates them for that, for that next phase of growth. And I help them with creating a framework for a team culture that will emphasize transparency and consent and accountability and all of, all of those things that, that business owners want on a team. But it's not always super easy to figure out how to engineer that into your daily work. How do meetings get run? How do we kick off projects? How do I do this in a way that creates enough runway so everyone's doing their best work and can show up uh, their full selves, which are which are equity values that many of the folks who come to me absolutely want to, to have in their business. And it's just like a full package of how do I grow, but also how do I grow sustainably and smartly and equitably? And so the Team Growth Accelerator is... Well, it can be customized. It's usually about four weeks together, which gives the CEO some breathing room because one of the things I learned is that a VIP day or even two VIP half days is intense. It's intense for me and it's intense for them. And they tend um, to have a little bit of a of a fire hose, uh, you know, drinking from the fire hose situation and a more relaxed four week engagement allows them to really dig in and put some of that stuff into practice while they're on calls with me so that I can help them troubleshoot anything that they're, anything that they're finding. And then the second thing that I offer, um, and this is a little sort of a, a hidden offer, it's called pocket COO. And it's a private offering that allows me to work one-on-one with business owners who need just pocket sized COO support. So it's designed for those who, ha- who those folks who ne- have an ongoing need for high-level ops advice, 
but it doesn't make sense to hire internally or externally yet. So it's even less than fractional. You know, we've heard of fractional COOs. It's it's not even that. It's a it just equips them with the advice and the support to lead their teams. There's a mechanism where they can kind of do a 911 and get on my calendar in a short blast. I just had one this week where something happened on their team and they wanted to come talk it through with me. So it just helps them minimize the missteps and shorten the learning curve. But by and large, they're doing it on their own or with their existing team. And I'm just there to offer support. I love both of those services. And I just have to say, I love the way you name uh, your offers because it really is clear it's clear instead of clever. I mean, I guess it's a little bit of both, but it's mainly clear. Like I understand what those two services are just by the naming. And I just think it's really, really smart. (laughs) Well, thank you. I, yes, I, I have gone for cutesy and it actually even confuses me half the time. So yes, clear is better (laughs) than (laughs) cute. (laughs) And I love the pocket COO. I think probably your clients feel it's immensely valuable to be able to jump on a 911 call because to be frank, and um, I'm going to curse, but that's okay. When shit hits the fan, you really need help right away. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and what's what's great about it is that I'm not, you know, the the line item for me is not, you know, taking a big chunk out of their out of their expenses. And yet, yes. because I have a long enduring, you know, I usually have done a deep dive on this on this company, so I know the ins and outs, and I know all the details. And so having that long term, but pocket size relationship with this business is just, it works so well for them. And I just love them. I love doing the calls. Totally. And I like your point about the, the investment because typically they're coming to you because they're not yet ready for a, a full-time CMO. So being able to get that help kind of on demand and in the amount they need is incredibly valuable for your clients. Yeah, it's yes, I totally agree. There's there's many companies that do not need or businesses that do not need um, a, you know, a standing even fractional COO in their business. Uh, Their their OBM or the project manager is completely, um, you know, capable of running the day to day and even sort of troubleshooting sort of the the day to day stuff that that goes on. But the long term strategic outlook and just just the outside perspective even is what is what they crave and what I actually what I love to provide. So it's perfect. A match made in heaven. So for anyone who's listening, maybe you could just for you detail a little bit what the difference is between CEO and an OBM or project manager. So if they're thinking, what, who do I need next in my business? Or even well, when is it time for someone like Karen? And when is it time for um, an OBM or a project manager. Can you share a little bit more about that? Mm-hmm. So to me, the difference between a PM and a COO is, well, there's sort of two, the time horizons really. So a project manager thinks about in an OBM, I would, I would put OBM slash project manager. They, they function quite similarly on the team, uh, looks about, looks at the work today, this week, uh, the work till the end of the month, till the end of the project. And they really are doing the, at the task level, they are doing the work breakdown. They're doing the assignings of tasks. They're hashing out dependencies. They're hashing out um, slack in the line and making sure that everyone's going to hit their, you know, hit their due dates and what happens if they don't and things like that. And if you're on a project and it went smoothly, you need to thank the OBM or the project manager. That's the person who it's the air traffic controller and they are just 
they're just worth their weight in gold, I think. A COO, and sometimes COOs are called integrators, we're the ones who look next quarter, next six months, next year, maybe the next 18 months. We are looking for what the CEO wants to do in the future and what steps we can take today so that we're well situated to take those steps in the future. So it really is a future orientation and not necessarily a day-to-day, you know, getting the donuts out the door (laughs) situation. So COOs and PMs can work very happily together because just the the level of, or the the things that we think about are, are quite different. That's a great definition, and I really appreciate you sharing that. So one more question for you, sort of along those lines, and you hinted at it earlier, uh, which is this kind of consent and transparency and almost culture that you're helping building. I imagine that makes shipping the donuts out the door also easier, if that makes sense, meaning sometimes when you're growing, things can be really crazy in the day-to-day. And being able to look towards the future and say, hey, we don't want to continue operating this way. So what needs to happen can take a huge load off the team and just make it more enjoyable to stick around on the team and perhaps also retain team members for the long term. 100%, 100%. You know, a lot of times I have business owners coming to me saying, I have an accountability problem on my team. And when we dig into it, I find that we have a transparency problem and a, possibly a consent agreement problem before we have an accountability problem. So a lot of times I find that uh, the business owner or any, any leadership position on the team isn't being transparent about what the constraints are. They're just not spitting out what they want. And, um, and this is not the ogre business owners. These aren't the jerks. These are normal <laughs> normal, wonderful people who just has, haven't realized how to get what's in their head out so that folks can help them. Um, I was coaching on this just recently and, um, and, it, and it was a, an accountability issue and it was a performance issue. And, and what the leader finally told me was, um, well, I haven't told her that because she should know. She should know. And I said, well, that's an invisible yardstick. It's not that you're not measuring her with that yardstick. You're just not telling her that you're measuring with that yardstick. So that's not fair. Let's spit it out. And once she did, well, you can imagine when she did, that person who absolutely wants to do a good job started doing a good job because she knew what a good job was, (laughs) you know, so spit out the constraints and then ask for agreement. That's another thing. A lot of times, especially when it's a remote team, we ship tasks to people. I put your name on it. I put a due date. There you go. And I don't hear back from you. And I assume all is well, but come Tuesday, you haven't gotten your thing done. And, and I don't know why. And then I, I, I keep pinging you and I, I have an accountability problem. But the thing is, either I didn't ship you enough details to actually get the work done, or I didn't ask you if Tuesday was okay. Like, are you signed up for delivering what I asked for on Tuesday? So there's mechanisms and software actually makes this easy. It's the plus, you know, that thumbs up, like in Asana, you can, you can heart something and heart means something. It means I see it, I received it, I'm on board. But you have to have an agreement with the person being tasked that they can do what you're thinking they can do by the time. And once they're signed up for it, if they have the ability to consent or not consent, then you hold them accountable. But do you see like the order matters? You need transparency. You need agreement and then start holding people accountable. 
And I'll tell you what, the accountability problem is solved in the earlier two stages about 98% of the time. I 100% believe that because I've seen the (laughs) same in all the work I do with teams. And I find um, typically if you have the right person in the role that giving them more transparency and consent means they're able to contribute at a higher level. And they quite frankly, enjoy that more than just being shipped a task and without understanding why or when or how and feeling like, oh my gosh, I have to pull this off last minute on top of the thousand other things on my plate. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, and I, I believe that what we're talking about is equity. So, I mean, I've, I've said this before, don't talk about your business values and then shove three weeks of work into mm-hmm. three days. That's, that's mm-hmm. not equitable. And uh, one of my mentors, Trudy LeBron, says that urgency is the enemy of equity. And I love that because I believe that to be true. And with my COO brain, what I turn around, I turn around a corollary to that. And I say adequate runway is an equity tool. Adequate runway is an equity tool because people get to show up there and be excited and to not have you know fear of of due dates or just shoving a lot of work, you know, they, they get to fully express and they get to be, you know, exactly who they want to be doing that job. And proper runway is not just a good business practice. I think it's an equitable business practice. My mouth is kind of like dropped open over here because I'm just digesting everything that you're saying. And I think it's such an important point and distinction that it's, it's, um, and I'd love for you to dive into it a little bit more about why it's not just good business practice, but also equitable and what it means for the rest of the team. Because I think sometimes maybe there's a disconnect between what the business owner wants to do and the urgency they have for the goal or out desired outcome and what the team can actually pull off and sustain in terms of growth. Yes. Well, if we think about it in the early stages, so I agree with you and I believe that comes from the business practices or the sort of the the human habits that were successful in early stage entrepreneurship. So let's all go back to our early days. And I call these the MacGyver habits. And the MacGyver habits are what got us to our success point. You know, they were touch everything, jerry rig everything, customize everything. And just 11 minute, lots of things. And you just sort of get that big dopamine hit because you're doing all the things and, and, uh, touching all the, all the spitting plates and things like that. And there's also a sense of damn the torpedoes, right? Because one of the things that early stage, uh, business owners have to do is overcome those obstacles and just say, great. Well, that didn't work. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. Here's another thing. So all of those were habits of success. None of those habits that I just said scale. None of them scale. So if we're talking to businesses that are seeing the success in the sales side, and yet that success, the sales volume is breaking the back office, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is exactly what's breaking, is the MacGyver habits don't work, and they won't work for this next phase of business. You'll be stuck. If you want to MacGyver everything as a business owner, you will reach a a ceiling, and you can't scale past it without changing your habits. There's also, for some reason, a healthy misunderstanding of the work involved once once a business <laughs> grows to a certain point. So, so that's how runway gets shortened and shortened and shortened. For one is they just, you know, I listened to a podcast last night and there was a great idea. Let's do it for this coming launch. Well, there isn't enough execution runway to get that new idea implemented 
But with my damn the torpedoes mentality, shove, 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 let's do it, bite down, let's go. That's that's how the situation, that's how the hot mess actually happens. Yeah. And if you're the business owner who's used to doing that, but then you're shoving that on your team's plate without getting their consent, it's not very equitable. Is that basically the conclusion I should draw from? Right, 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 right. So, yep. That's right. Yes. So you try, you're trying to shove, you know, three works of, three weeks of work into three days and uh, there will be errors. There will be, you know, panic. There'll be stress. I mean, we've all, you know, you and I have done it. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I know yeah. we've done it. Shoulder <laughs> to shoulder. We've done it. And, you know, the, the best product doesn't go out the door. We all know that. We, you know, there's, there's, there's silly errors there's, you know, typos and headlines and broken links and things like that, just silly errors. But that's because we're, you know, we have, you know, 35, a string of 35 plates all spinning and we can't keep them all spinning just to get this, um, just to get this handled. Well, that doesn't feel, that doesn't feel fun. Like, you know, forget equity. That doesn't feel fun. But is that, you know, the, the real gall happens is when you go to the website and you read all these like lovely business values and the core values of the team but the team isn't being treated like, you know, even as well as some of the customers and clients uh, are being treated. And that's what I that's what I rail against. Like, let's bring all of that value and um, that kind of um, prioritizing the happiness of the clients. Let's make sure that the team is resourced and um, has enough tools and enough runway to do their best work. Yeah. And ultimately doing your best work means better results on the back end. So it it should, in theory, make the business owner happy once they get used to uh, operating in a different way. Yes. that It can be a rough transition, though, for sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you know, I've had the immense pleasure of working with you on, on multiple teams. And I've kind of seen both sides of that where it can be a rough transition. But then on the back end, it's pretty dang, <laughs> pretty dang nice once you get there. So let's say someone's listening to this podcast and wondering, is our business ready to reach out to Karen? When would you suggest a business owner seek out your services? Well, it really is a pain point. So if you're feeling the pain point of too much work coming in the door, (laughs) which is kind of, I, I always laugh when I say that because that's the ultimate, like we're trying to, you know, get the sales volume. And finally, when you've licked that problem, oh my gosh, there's another problem. But if you are scared to sign the next client because you think, you know, your team's going to cry or, or secretly unplug your Wi-Fi or something like that, when work capacity has hit that upper limit and you don't know what your next move is, that's, that's when I can be of the most help. I love that. And it's, um, it's pretty easy to know when that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> you know. I do know. So Karen, I'd love for you to share a little bit about your, more about your story. Like, why did you start this business? What inspired you to venture off on your own? And, and you know, kind of what were you doing before all this? Well, yeah, what happened, uh, the reason I started this business was good old fashioned burnout. I had, I was working for the government. I was uh, overseas in a war zone uh, for most of the previous decade. And I was, and to say burnout, my health was, I had some health issues some significant health issues and I just couldn't do the work anymore. And it was a, a gut-wrenching thing because it really was my heart's desire. You know, it was what I went to school for. It was counterterrorism and it was what I went to school for. It's where my head was. It's where my heart was. And I really did have to pull the plug, which was a little bit of a heartbreak. And I sold my house 
and moved to the ocean and licked my wounds for a bit. And the only thing I could think about doing, because the, leaving that career behind, it's not like you can do freelance counterterrorism, right? It's not like you can do counterterrorism <laughs> no. from the beach. So, <laughs> so I didn't know what to do, but all I did know is that I did not want to walk into a building at eight and walk back out at five. That was it. That was the one constraint. And so I sort of tried to figure out, well, what is it that I can sell? And then I realized that I had these, you know, the transferable skills of leading projects and leading teams during some pretty epic, uh, you know, epic constraints, um, shifting priorities, um, motivating folks when <laughs> when the chips were down and when things were really convoluted. And that kind of uh, leadership and project leadership were the transferable skills. And, um, and then I got into the online gig. I just I don't know. I don't know how I heard about it, but I got into the online gig and started selling first project management and then launch management. But very quickly, I was moving up to being uh, to being the advisor, mostly because I'm mouthy. <laughs> and I, I would just <laughs> basically say, there's a smarter way to do this. Hey, there's a smarter way to do this. Hey. And you say that enough and people uh, thankfully started listening to me. And then I became the the person who would look at a system and um, and try to revamp it and look at teams and try to resituate them so that it was meeting the work and meeting the um, the objectives um, just so much better than just biting down and brute forcing it, which is <laughs> which if there is a term for how work gets done here in the online space, brute force is the is the phrase. Yeah, uh, so true. So let me let me. Uh, <laughs> I could say a lot about that, but let me go back and just say, like, I think you're the biggest, like, I just think you're such a badass and to come from such a high stakes environment and have to pivot due to circumstances, um, but bring all that amazing knowledge and know how to me, at least when I've worked with you, just makes you stand out as a one in a million because most people don't have your background and they can't do what you do just by the nature of you we're in some pretty high, uh, I'm guessing you were in some pretty high stakes stuff and, and a launch probably feels pretty low stakes in comparison. Yeah. I think there, I think there is a bit of that. You know, I used to, I used to joke and say, there's no crying in launching. Um, <laughs> although I have cried, <laughs> but I really do feel that sometimes people do treat like launches or getting that sales page up in time as, you know, the world's going to end if it doesn't happen. And and um, my reputation is at stake and all of those, you know, all of those extremely high stakes and they're, and they're false. They really are false. I've been shot at. So I kind of know what high stakes is and what high stakes isn't. And that button being broken isn't particularly high stakes. Yeah. And it allows, at least from my standpoint, allows you to lead with a pretty calm demeanor, but also to point out like, hey, this brute force situation is not something that's sustainable, nor does it need to be because this isn't this isn't the end of the world. If, if this launch doesn't go well or if this launch needs to go better next time, hey, here's a better way to do it and let's figure that out. And, you know, I also resonate a little bit with your story because I started my own business on the back end of burnout. And um, I think a lot of people that uh, I've interviewed on the podcast have similar stories and that whatever they were doing wasn't fulfilling or wasn't filling up their cup or wasn't uh, allowing them to do their best work. And they said, screw it. I want to go do my best work in a different way. Yeah. I do think the online world is a little bit, well, it started off as sort of the island of misfit toys, like all of us who couldn't, <laughs> for whatever reason, didn't, didn't want to be in corporate America. 
but um, I do, I do love it. You know, the wild, wild west of it is actually one of the appealing things for me about the online world. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably still feels a bit like the wild, wild west, even though it's not so new anymore. And question for you around what you said earlier about remote teams, have more and more of your clients had more remote teams and seen pain points on the back end of the pandemic that you're, I guess, helping solve just because of the nature of everyone not being in the same office? Hmm. I don't think so. I don't, most of my clients have done, and they're in a lot of different industries, but they have done uh, quite well, either okay to quite well during uh, the last two years. So, and I don't know uh, why it is that they, and perhaps their peers had not, but um, they all have a remote uh, team component to them, but by no means are all just service providers or, you know, in, in the same vertical industry. I kind of do, they're, they're truly global and there mm-hmm. are some products in e-com and services and some are remote and some are in person or a blend. So I kind of do all, as long as the pain point is there, um, that's sort of my, my niche. It's, it's not necessarily, um, the industry or, yep. or the product. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way, as you, as you know. Okay, so I did want to just talk a little bit about your marketing because I think you do such a good job of it. And what I love is your, your system, and at least from what I know of it, isn't super complicated, which I think is sometimes a challenge that people have when they think about online marketing is, oh my gosh, I need to be on all these channels. I need to be doing all these things. And ultimately, I think that's another recipe for burnout. And I just think what you do is so clear and simple and you know exactly what you're going after. And I just love for you to share maybe a little bit more about that, maybe how you get in front of new people and what you've really honed in on is is working well for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being a sort of a, a one woman show uh, and a boutique kind of business, I work almost exclusively on referrals. And, and although I do, you know, I'm on the coffee chat circuit and I'm in a few um, networking groups, by and large, the referrals do not come from that. The referrals come from just quality relationships with other folks who would brush shoulders with a CEO that has the pain point. And so it's sort of an organic conversation when, you know, for instance, you as a marketer can look into a business and go, you know what? I know someone for that. Um, CFOs can look into businesses for that. Um, just there's a, a number of other just folks that I've either worked with on teams or just know and have gotten to have a, you know, an established relationship with them. And they're the ones who just sort of pipe up when the pain point gets painy and say, you know, I know a girl. The other thing that I do that I absolutely love is I love to be um, sort of the ops person on a mastermind panel. So a lot of times, um, I think it's kind of the new thing where if you have a high level mastermind group, you do have a panel of experts that that can do a deep dive into you know all the different areas that a business could need and showing up because teaching and educating and having a long, a longer conversation. So not a, not a, not a 60 second reel, although I do do those from time to time, (laughs) but you know, a, a 60 or 90 minute workshop is where I shine the most. So when I get the opportunities to, uh, to do a breakout session or to be a, on a panel in a mastermind or have any sort of like teaching appearance, 
uh, podcasts as well. Those are the things that really kind of suit the way I like to show up and and kind of how I'm good at it. So so I try to emphasize those. And yes, it was us, you know, when I decided to stop taking retainer clients and sort of do this sort of project-based business, I did lay a lot of bets just to see what was going to pan out. So these were the last men standing as far as I liked to do it. And it seemed like that's where my folks were coming from. So weaving in all of that, I do have a little bit of social that I do mostly on Instagram. Um, I like that because that just seems to be the platform where my folks will just go see if there's lights on. You know, when you hear about somebody and you need to go find them um, and they, as long as there's something to scroll and, um, you know, and, and uh, maybe hear my voice because sometimes, um, you know, it's an intimate uh service that I provide, you know, you're going to show up and talk about your dirty laundry a bit. So getting a sense of me and being able to get a sense of me speaking and just seeing my face um, is it makes the uh, decision to reach out perhaps a little easier for them. Yeah, for me, I think about your Instagram as like your nurturing content, because it's not necessarily where people might first hear about you, but it's how they kind of... uh quietly stalk you while they figure out, okay, am I going to hire Karen? Is this the right next step? And you also have some great, in my opinion, standout items on your website that I think really helped someone to make that decision. So um, I'll just share the three pieces that I really love. But first, you have this great video on your homepage that really allows someone to interact with you right away. Um, and then you also have a fabulous about page and a results page that shows like the proofs in the pudding. It's not just me telling you I do great work, but here are all the clients who are telling you that. Um, and I just think it's really, really compelling. Yeah, that was uh, the video as the hero image was sort of built from desperation and from trying to understand what my what my prospects would need from me. And again, it kind of goes back to they want to see and hear and get a sense of me before they would ever engage. Uh, but also I lacked photos. I didn't have a hero photo. <laughs> and so when I was looking into different technologies, I saw an example of a, it was actually a lawyer and he had the video ask, which is the the software behind that video. He had it as his hero image. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing that. You know, necessity is the mother of an invention. And what <laughs> I <laughs> really love about your site is it's not complicated, but it's very compelling. Um, you know, so I think sometimes people spend way too much time on their website and they think, oh my gosh, I need, I don't know, 300 pages <laughs> to explain who I am and what I do and help someone take the next step. But yours is succinct. I can never say that word. Succinct and uh, leads people down a clear path of oh, awesome. what are, what is the next step. That's awesome. I love hearing that from you, Lauren, because I know, <laughs> I know as a marketer who, who's, who I absolutely respect to hear that that I get an A from you is fantastic. Well, I think you know as well as I do how expensive <laughs> and time-consuming website websites can be. And I just, I think sometimes we overcomplicate them just like uh, perhaps sometimes you find your clients overcomplicate the work. I just think, I just think it's a stellar example of my marketing doesn't need to be complicated in order to be effective. Love it. Well, I'm DIY over there. I've done everything that you're seeing is something I've concocted, written, assembled. And so, yes, I keep it to the bare minimum. <laughs> and it doesn't look DIY. So I, I like huge awesome. shout out. <laughs> so 
Karen, I want to wrap up with one final question, which is if you had to give someone else advice about, you know, growing their business, if you're giving another business owner advice, what would that be if there was one piece of advice you could give them? Hmm. Oh, I, this one for sure, build metrics into everything from the get-go. Absolutely. I find that almost alarmingly, sometimes when I go into businesses and these are decently sophisticated businesses, the revenue figure is, is, you know, is up there and they have ad spend and they have unit sales and sort of everything in between is this mystery. And they do know that the more that they spend on ads, the more unit sales they get. And so they, <laughs> they but what they don't know is all of the other things that they do during a launch. How impactful is that? Could we drop it? Because everything, you know, especially some of the launches where, you know, they throw the kitchen sink at you. There's a PLC series and there's a webinar. No, wait, there's two webinars. There's bonuses that expire. There's a behind the scenes, you know, student panel, you know, all of those things. And um, and we don't know what each is contributing to the end result. But um, the beautiful thing about remote um, sales and digital sales is that you can put a counter nearly everywhere. Um, and it's easy to do. And then you just need the head to go back and look at the numbers and, and, and to understand what they mean. So maybe your folks don't have all of the bells and whistles, but build metrics even into the most basic things that you're doing to gut check, to gut check your gut um, and to make sure that you're making the right moves. You know, there's that, who is that ad guy that said 50% of my ad spend doesn't do anything. The problem is I don't know which 50% it is. That's that's a very much a problem that can be totally solved in the digital world. There's no excuse for that because counters can be everywhere. So put your counters in and then start looking at the data to see to see what's what. You're speaking my language. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to rant for a second with you because I see multiple seven-figure businesses have those two key metrics that you talked about and nothing else. And meanwhile, the team is fried because they're doing all the bells and whistles that quite frankly might not be moving the needle. And it's, it's always pretty astonishing to me, like how, <laughs> how are there no metrics in here? You know, like it's just crazy to me anyways. Um, I hundred percent agree with your advice and think it's super valuable. And I guess if someone's thinking about, okay, how do I, how do I even think about getting those metrics in place? Is your advice to keep it simple? It is. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always ask the, I, I, this is a piece of advice for, for those who are trying to figure out what should I be counting and how meaningful is it? Ask the business decision in English. How would I know? How do I know it's a good launch? How do I know, you know, how much does my website or my webinar contribute to sales? You know, walk through the English sentences that you would want to know as a business owner to either scrap something or double down on it. Just ask those questions out loud. And those are the guiding questions for you to go back and put counters in those in those spots. So what are the drivers of your revenue? What drives your revenue? How do you know which one is pulling the most weight? I would start there on the revenue side for sure. And then you can go to the cost side later. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Karen, so much for sharing all your expertise. Where can our listeners go to learn more about your business and services? Well, you can go to that A-plus website of mine that uh, <laughs> Lauren has endorsed so much. Uh, that's karensargent.com. 
And uh, you can also find me on Instagram, which is karen.sargent. Wonderful. Thank you, Karen, so much. Thank you, Lauren. It was a blast. Heck yeah. You just finished another episode of the Marketing That Generates podcast. I hope you found a few takeaways that you can put into action right away. If you want more on today's episode, head over to marketingthatgenerates.com for show notes, links, bonus resources, and related episodes. Plus, if you're looking to connect with other amazing business owners just like you, be sure to join my free community. You can get access at marketingthatgenerates.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll meet you back here next week.